Welcome to Coaching Culture, the podcast where we discuss how we can use sports and not let them use us. I'm JP Nervin, the founder of Thrive On Challenge, and the mission for this podcast is to connect leaders in athletics to help us create a transformational culture by building leadership and character. Now let's get started. Hi, welcome to episode 41 of the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm your host, J.P. Nurbin, and I'm going to be continuing my conversation today with Stuart Armstrong, uh, the host of the awesome podcast called The Talent Equation. Uh, This is part two of my conversation with him, and we're going to be discussing what is talent and how to develop it. If you haven't already, be sure uh, to listen to episode 40 first, actually. Uh, really sets the stage for a lot of the things that we're going to discuss today, as well as just gives you some fantastic principles and some amazing tools that you can implement within your practice, within your program, within your games, to not only just develop the skills, but to develop the uh, the culture, the motivation, uh, and the enjoyment of, of the experience uh, for your athletes and yourself. Now, I mentioned this last week, but I just want to apologize again for the poor audio quality uh, of the interview. Uh, just bear with me on this last episode. I guarantee you, I promise you, uh, in future episodes, the, the, the audio quality will be much better. Uh, still, I got a lot of great feedback from last week's episode, just people getting so much uh, great stuff that they can implement within their program, uh, which is what this is about. All right. So if you haven't already, go to thriveonchallenge.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I send out uh, PDF coaching notes that you can download. That way you don't have to take notes. And even if you do like to take notes, um, it's just you know it's cool to just compare your notes with mine as well. Now I'm going to be picking up right where Stuart and I left off in our last episode. So uh, listen up and I hope you enjoy. And I, I love how you're we're, we're talking about some hard conversation. And I think that's critical because I think a lot of coaches that maybe haven't listened to your podcast, which I think you know they should because there's so much great stuff there about um, moving away from drills. Right. I think from the outside, a lot of people feel, oh, that's just, you know, talking about this fun. Well, that's, you know, that, you know, that, that it's going to be all easy and this is all, we're all running around the dandelions having a great time and have laughing. No, it's actually, it's really, like you said, it's really challenging. It requires some really hard conversations. And it's, um, I always love, and there's a great book uh, by Anson Dorrance and it's called Training Soccer Champions. He wrote it like in 95. It's brilliant. And he talks about the emotional, how emotionally and physically exhausting it is to with to hold uh, people to high standards, but it's a little bit easier in some ways um, when they've helped, when they've agreed and they've bought in or they've set those standards and consequences. Still going to be really, really hard. There's going to still be really hard conversations, but I think there's going to be more buy-in. And it's, we're going to be a little more successful at it. No, definitely, definitely. I am um, just going back to that session I run recently for that group, that group of under fourteen girls. Um, I uh, loved it, right? So just purely selfishly. Uh, don't get me wrong, it was exhausting. By the end of it, it was a two-hour <laughs> session. By the end of it, I was, honestly, I was spent. Um, but I was, I was also in flow. So mm. it's not often I can get in, it's not often I get into flow as a coach. I'm really interested in flow as co- yeah. in coaching, by the way. It's not often I can get into flow. Just the, the, the environment doesn't necessarily lend itself to it. But in, with that group, because it was such a, diff- such a challenge to try and bring them with me on this behavioral thing, I was, I was really in complete flow. And I, and I was exhausted, but I was just absolutely, uh, I was elated as well. It was a really, really good session. And you can probably hear the, me talking about it because I'm still, still buzzing about it. <laughs> and for me, just selfishly, yeah, uh, as a coach, right, um, I'm, I'm in there with them, right? I'm working with them and helping them develop and this, that, and the other. 
And at the end of it, I've come out of it and I'm exhausted, but I'm so kind of like um, I'm buzzing with that experience. And just selfishly, yeah, that's just, I'm a bit addicted to that. I've got to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I'm giving them a great experience as well. And it, But it is, you're absolutely right. It's so hard. There are so many things to attend to. Which is, I think, one of the reasons, actually, it's much less easier just to go, right, do this, do that, do the other, follow the plan, and off we go. Um, it's hard, but there's, the rewards are far greater. You're definitely a self-reflective guy, so you had that flow session. Things went really, really well, but it still wasn't the perfect session, I'm just willing to guess. What is one thing that you, out of that session, because you talked a lot about it, that you're just like, yeah, I need to do this better potentially next time, or what's one area for growth in that? I'm just curious, the type of things that you focus on at that level. Difficult. So I, I, I guess part of the challenge was uh, I didn't know the group particularly well. Yeah, that's good. And challenge. so yeah, and so sort of building the rapport and the trust and all those sorts of things. You know, is, you don't always have that time. And I haven't got a lot of time with this group, so I wanted to make sure that we got got as much out of the session as we possibly could. I suppose in de- uh, my session design changed, which happens nearly all the time. Very rarely does my session design actually stay the same. And I stayed in one place for quite a long time. Um, I maybe could have moved on a little earlier. Um, that would have been probably beneficial. And oh, the uh, big one. Um, I did the rule of three, and we mm-hmm. established the the uh, three things they wanted to have as a focus. But I didn't establish the unacceptably exceptional acceptable. I really only established the acceptable level. Uh, we did the out of ten, and we got them towards that point. But actually, maybe I should have started with the unacceptable. What would be an unacceptable session? What would it look like? You know, and get them to actually physically say it would look like this, so that we can spot those moments, and it's much easier for them to actually say, actually, we've dropped into unacceptable. So the fact I didn't frame the unacceptable, I think, meant that they felt not quite comfortable enough to say, I don't think we're at the right level. Um, yeah, so that's probably the one big takeaway. So it's a two-hour session, and so if I, yeah. you know. I, I, can, I know what it's probably, I got a vision of what it looks like, but for other coaches, they might be like, that sounds like a lot of talking. How am I supposed to get that done and actual work done? So, and how would you have a two hour session? How do you create those moments to have that discussion, to facilitate that discussion? And how much of the time does it take, eat, eat up of your, of your, of your you know, physical uh, people running, people acting, you know, moving type of um, stuff in your practice? Yeah, so. Um uh, the starting point where I was framing it. So they'd already done some warm-up activity. Let, they let it. Uh, we did some individual stuff, which I went around and supported them. They came to me as a consultant and said, I need help with this. And then we started to sort of go into the main session proper. And that's when I started to frame it. Um, and it took me three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. What do you want it to look like? And they'd say this, this, this. Okay, they're the things. Okay. Um, I could have done the UAEs a bit quicker, perhaps, um, as well. I could have added that in. But that wasn't long, yeah? But, I mean, that's just that was the starting point. Uh, then there was a little bit about, right, this is, this is where we're going tonight. We're going to focus on this area. And then in we go. Um, uh, in terms of the, re- the reframing, so I would bring them in periodically, and it would take me no more than a minute, should, maybe, maybe, maybe slightly longer, uh, to do that. Ten, where are you out of ten? 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 Okay, how do we get, get up to that? Uh, go back in, do it again, go back in. This is partly the reason I didn't move on in my session design because I was staying where I was because I said, we've got to earn the right to move on, but we can only earn the right to move on when we're, when, we're, when we're at the right level. We're not moving on until we're at the right level because we're not doing it properly if we're not at the right level, which mm-hmm. is why we stayed where we were. Um, so That's a, just um, a side note. That's a great consequence too, Like, right? It's not like yeah. people don't want to do the same game or same drill for like 
the whole practice, right? I used to always, I always say that too. Sorry to interrupt, but that was just, yeah, that's a great consequence there. Well, I do say that. Yeah, I mean, we can't move on until we've got to the right level. So, you know, you want to move on. But also, it wasn't necessarily move on. It was like changing the activity. There was actually quite a bit of variation in that single activity because I created, mm-hmm. created new challenges, new rules, new, new elements, new constraints, all those sorts of things. Um, but just flipping back to how much time, well, I mean, one of the things I do is, and I'd encourage all coaches to do this, if you get a chance to get like a, a, a chest-mounted GoPro or you get someone to video you, Measure, your, measure the effectiveness of your coaching sessions by how, many, how much information comes from you to them and how much information comes from them to you. Um, wow, you'll good. be surprised. It, I did it once and it was, I was like, oh my God. I thought I was like a lot from them and it was the other way around. So now, um, even in those sessions when we're not active, they're doing all the talking. I'm just posing the questions. And it's information coming from them to, them, them to me about their experiences or what they're noticing. So... Um, I'm just trying to guide that conversation so that one doesn't dominate and I can get, you know, the quiet one in the corner over there to actually say something instead of just hiding in the back. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's, a, that's a, something to try. I think it's worth a, worth a, worth a look. Yeah, no, I, I think you've hit it there. I've talked a lot about this, uh, which is the after-action review, uh, which is just kind of that post. And I mentioned to coaches, like, you know, after you finish a drill, rather than bringing them in and you just kind of telling them what you need to ask them, what went well, what didn't work well, uh, you know, you ask those those questions, get them to get them talking, and I think a lot of coaches think, "Well, oh, it's going to take forever." I'm like, if you bring them in, you've got to you you really teach them the little things about how to how to come in together, how to be close, how to maintain that focus. Those are really engaging conversations, and they will enjoy them way more. Um, I, you know, I, I wrote an article maybe a few months back about the most motivational talk you can give at halftime. I think as a coach, when I first started off, I used to be like all talk, right? I'd, I'd come in there, I'd be pumped up, I was passionate. I give a great fiery speech that would be great in a movie, but it actually yeah. wasn't very motivational. I think the most motivational uh, talk we can give to our team is really just to ask great questions about what they see, what they think out there, and what steps they can take to sustain the strengths, what's going well, and what uh, adjustments they can make to, to fix areas of weakness. 100%. 100%. And again, they're very powerful because then it's the group actually you know, say, saying where they need to go. And, and this is where becoming a Becoming great at questions is really, really good, really important. And questioning, there's a whole piece around questioning and the approach to use questioning and the way to frame questions and all those sorts of things. That's another, that's another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I think that's where being a podcaster helps because you get quite good at asking questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always try to say, like, I want to be a question man, not an answer man. Like, the bet you, give the, you can give a great answer and it's just not nearly as powerful as the question. So one other thing I really want to talk to you before I let you go, because I know you got lots on, lots on your uh, plate and appreciate your time, but uh, is, is this idea of talent versus character. And you already kind of alluded to this. We were kind of mentioning this and how you have already a definition for talent. But I think when it comes to the culture piece, this is really critical. And, you know, most of the coaches that listen to this podcast are collegiate level or high school level coaches. Um, so they are recruiting uh, players in the hot college and whether they can or not, um, or should or not, there's recruitment at the high school level, but there's also team selection, right? So there's tryouts, some teams, you know, you got 20 kids trying out for a team of 12, you got, you know, but there, there is cuts, there's selection. How do you pick your team? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I've got some thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah. So my view is, uh, so going back to my definition of talent, this is where the talent equation came from as a concept. Um, you know, so my, my definition of talent is 
um, ability multiplied by, um, let's call it mindset, internal factors, grit, determination, all those kinds of characteristics, yeah. um, multiplied by external factors, parents, school, club, <laughs> coach, all those sorts of things, yeah. all over time. Um, now, uh, if you just take the bit, the bit about the ability multiplied by those internal factors, um, the one thing that most of us as coaches don't factor is that um, internal factors um, are a huge driver of ability. So if you've got ability, but you haven't got those internal factors, if you haven't got determination, grit, um, and, a, and a really great mindset and a growth mindset where you see struggle as an opportunity for growth and development, if you haven't got that, then you, your ability eventually will, will stop or it will slow down and it will not progress um, because you haven't got the mindset to go with your ability. Um, now, if you've got an amazing mindset, assuming all other genetic factors are equal, and everything, um, you, you're going to world your oyster, right, in terms of how far you can take your potential in any given domain. Here's the thing, though. Some people have a better mindset than others. Um, some of that is kind of just the way they're brought up, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all developable, right? So the mindset piece is absolutely 100% developable. And environments help to develop mindset. So I've always been a big believer in creating great environments. I'm very you know, yeah. environment-driven, ecologically-driven. So I've always been creating an environment where we can help develop that mindset. So going back to my under-14 girls, I created an environment for them, which was talking about having a kind of mindset that helps them to develop. Um, and it's a starting point. We can go much, much further with that. Now, when it comes to recruitment, if I had a choice between two players who are roughly equal ability, uh, or even one player who's more able than the other one, but one has clearly got a really poor mindset and the other one's got a great mindset. I'm taking the mindset kit every time, every time, because I know that individual's got great ceiling. It's much harder for me to develop the mindset in, a, in somebody who's far more able, but it, because that's not what I've been trained in, is it? Now, in reality, actually, that's what I spent most of my life training in now, is to <laughs> yeah. help to develop that mindset, right? But I always know that's more of a risk. Why? Because it's, it's harder to do. Now, Here's the thing. I reckon for most of us as coaches, it's the bit that we forget about. So if we help to develop the right kind of characteristics and mindset in an individual, we can help them take off. And that's what the great coaches do. So when you know people talk about beyond the X's and O's and all that sort of stuff, yeah, the pitch bit or the court bit or the, or the uh, diamond bit, whatever it is, that bit is kind of the easy bit. It's the other bit that's the hard bit. It's the software stuff. And if we know that that is developable, that's an area that we must look to develop. Uh, so if I've got to make quick recruitment decisions, I'm going with those qualities. So how do I look for those qualities? Well, firstly, it helps if you have an elongated period of time to make the assessment because it's yeah. very hard to do in a snapshot. But if you're forced to do tryouts, here's my, here's my one tip for anybody who's forced to do tryouts. Make them damn hard. Make <laughs> them and make them, make them nothing to do with the sport. So a good friend of mine, Kendall McQuaid, who's been on the uh, been on the podcast several times, uh, he working in golf, he does a regional squad, and he did a session with the kids where they're like running around picking up beanbags. Seems like kind of they're sixteen year olds. They're <laughs> adolescent. It's really hard. It's really tough, right? And some of them can't be bothered. They don't like it. It's not what they want to do. You're not in. Sorry, because yeah. it's telling me something about you. And more often than not, two things happen. We've done this before. Two things happen. Either the ones that they get in who've got brilliant attitudes, they progress way further anyway. Or the ones who didn't have the attitude, they have a bit of a think and they come back and they go, I now understand what we're doing, what we're doing here and I'm ready to buy in. And it works either way. So yeah. that's, my, that's my recommendation.
I think that's that's huge. It's like because um, I've kind of you know thrown this idea around, and you hit it right. You answered all the questions I was going to ask about this, which is really like how do we evaluate in a session? Even if you like some coaches, like a middle school coach or high school, uh, sometimes they have like a couple hours, right? They get like a hundred kids coming, like make it really hard. And I talked, I wrote recently about how um, the benefits of a hell week. You know, yeah. it could be a hell day, right? But there's yeah. that the, the the power of selection. So in the Navy SEALs, they use that really, really, really high intensity, you know, buds selection training. And it's not about the who's the fittest that survives. It's not about who's the smartest, the most talented. It's who's got the the, the grit, right, uh, yeah. to be able to push through. And that's so. Yeah, you could give your kids a grit test, uh, but I think the real grit test is just to put them put them through it. You know, and and I yeah. think. That's really interesting. I think also one other thing is you've talked about how it's much harder to, because this is one of the arguments that come some coaches throw out. It's like, well, you can grow growth mindset. It's like you said, it's much more challenging. And I think if we have an environment and if we've established our culture where it is already an environment that is going to help to grow someone's mindset, to help them grow their grit, and we've built that culture, then we can throw someone in that culture, in my opinion, that doesn't, that it maybe is significantly weaker there, really talented, and they have a better chance of success. But especially yeah. if we're building a program, we're starting off, and we try to go after the most talented kids, and we think that we can build that culture, that environment, I think we're fooling ourselves, right? There's only so much you can do, no matter how talented you are. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll expend a lot of energy uh, trying to bring those individuals with you. Um, and you will make improvements to them, but you'll probably end up having to make some compromises around the standard that you want to set, set, set behaviorally. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it depends on how much time you've got, and how much resources you've got, depends on energy you've got to be able to work with these individuals. And sometimes you find you do all of these things, and then those individuals just can't get there. They just can't make themselves get to that point. And that's always going to be one of their limiting factors. So, you know, sometimes, you know, being in the talent space, you're forced sometimes to make very tough decisions about, about individuals and futures. I just think that I think often we make the wrong decisions because we're making decisions based on our immediate needs. So, for example, you pick that talented kid who hasn't necessarily got the grit. Why? Because they're going to help you win now. And it's all about winning now, isn't it? Well, not long term, it isn't. A big part of my goal as a talent coach is often it's, you know, partially it's about trying to get the best results I can at the time and the moment. But actually, it's about where these kids end up. I think you need to measure talent development coaches in a slightly different way. Now, I know that's easy for me to say because I'm not, you know, if you're operating in a competitive space and your job dependent on it, you've got to get some results. Yeah. But if you can get your employers to buy into the idea of, yeah, it's partly about results, but it's also about where we can progress these kids to. We should take pride not only in the results that we get, but where our kids end up. You know, if we produce NBA players or whatever it might be or NFL players or premiership footballers or whatever it is from our school environment, we should take as much pride in that as the results we get. But also, even, ironically, I think the results will come in as well. You know. Yeah, and, and also I think you know what type of if you did produce an NBA player, what type of an NBA player is he? Is he yeah, a person yeah, of high yeah. character in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's not there's a lot of people in there that, that when they they're in the NBA and they've gotten there by talent, um, largely talent. I don't think there's a lot of people that you know, are there that haven't worked hard. But just what other type of things do they possess as far as their 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 character and their leadership? Um, you know. I think one of the big things that people's I, I would I would kind of leave you on this with this question, which is your thoughts on like leadership development curriculums and programs that we as coaches try to invest in. I personally think that there's value in them, but I think that there is the greatest 
leadership development tool, the greatest character develop, development tool, is in often in the training session itself. And by giving them autonomy, you, you know, having them giving them a voice, um, having them to self-evaluate, to self-reflect, not just their effort, but the way that they speak to each other, the, the way they interact, and love to know your thoughts on like how you develop. Uh, you talk about that talent piece there. How do you develop like the leadership uh, and kind of the other character things in a practice session? Well, it's, it's classic, isn't it? You know, it's like um, you want people to become great leaders. Let them lead. Very difficult to become a leader if all you're doing is following instructions. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, and there was a big thing, wasn't there, made by, uh, you know, Steve Kerr about, <laughs> you know, let, let, a big thing with him, you know, kind of like the, the warriors running their own kind of huddles and stuff like that. Like it was, a uh, oh, God, you know, it's like disrespectful to the opponents and this, that, and the other. It's probably just pretty normal stuff. It's just you never actually see it because normally... You know, and it's interesting how it goes against the dominant narrative as coaches, all powerful coaches, all knowledge. You know, coach is responsible for giving information to the individuals. And without the coach, the whole thing falls down. Lots of coaches love that narrative. It helps to feed their ego. It helps to drive the way they want to be. The really genuinely, truly successful ones really understand that forming great bonds between people, forming collective responsibilities, allowing each individual to be a leader in whatever way they can lead. Everybody leads in slightly different ways. And actually asking them and making it part of the responsibility to lead, to drive. I mean, even if it's just down to the, the purpose of actually, you know, uh, empowering them to make decisions and backing them to make decisions, isn't it? I think it's Stan McC General Stanley McChrystal, Team of Teams, fantastic book. He says that um, leadership is allowing people to fail without making them feel a failure. I think that's that's pretty much almost yeah. like my entire philosophy. Yeah. I actually want to see people making loads of, you know, having loads of goes and maybe getting it wrong, and, and that's great. You know, it my session does not. If in fact, to be honest, I used to say this before, especially in a talent context. When I'm working with young kids, if I've got loads of smiling faces and they've all had a great time and they've had loads of fun and they've had a great experience and they've had a, you know a little bit of challenge and all that sort of stuff, then yes, that's a winner. When it comes to talent. I don't want smiling faces. I want them to be just slightly disgruntled. Why? Because they've had a challenge point. They haven't quite reached it. And they've had to struggle a little bit. Yeah, we've got to value the struggle. Um, I was very lucky once I was working, when I was working in rugby. We managed to get Carol Dweck to come and do a conference. Yeah. Tiny little lady. Tiny little lady, right? She's like <laughs> in this room of gigantic rugby guys, you know, and they're like big testosterone men. And she stands on the stage. She's like a rock star. And one of the things she said that just always stuck with me, she says, we never get home from work, do we? And go, hey, honey, I had the most amazing struggle today. And I love that quote because it's like <laughs> there's everything about our society. We're always trying to – everything's got to be good. It's got to be easy. It's got to be successful, everything else. No, there's value in the struggle. And actually, if you can create those environments where people feel safe, they have the psychological safety, um, the safe uncertainty, as Rick Shuttleworth says, uh, to be able to struggle with each other, enjoy the struggle together, grow through the struggle together, help each other to overcome each other's challenges. You just create great leaders. That, that'll set people up for, for the rest of their lives in whatever field they go into, whether it's sport or whatever it is. Yeah, I think, you know, coming back to that Steve Kerr thing, you know, he had obviously empowered them. They were prepared for that moment. Now, I don't think giving the clipboard to an under eight soccer or a basketball player is like would is like going to be a place where they're safe to fail. They, they don't feel like they're a failure, right? But I think more than not, I think at the secondary level, collegiate level, those people are prepared. And I, and I said, what's the worst that can happen in that moment, right? And, you know, first off, I think the worst thing is, in my opinion, they do exactly what you do as a coach. They do exactly what they think you want them to do. 
I think the best thing is they try something new in, a, in that timeout. I think the, um, and it either fails and then you have a great discussion about, well, why that fail? And it's a very safe, like that they try to play, they tried certain uh, adjustments. And I think uh, another great thing that can come from that is it works. And you as a coach learn something and then they feel empowered like, oh man, look at, I made a change. Now I can, I, I'm going to be more willing to step up and communicate and lead in the future. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Having said that, I still think, funnily enough, I think giving leadership opportunities to youngsters is actually really valuable as well. They come up with some crazy stuff, but it's sometimes really <laughs> fascinating. I, uh, I went up to one of my players in my under 11 cricket team on Sunday and yeah. I always, they, there's a different captain every week. And I said, Thomas, would you like to be captain this week? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to be captain. I, probably alarm bells should be ringing then. But anyway, <laughs> he was great. He was amazing, right? He set the batting order. He set the bowling order. The only thing he got wrong in the end, he was dead communicative. He was really good at engaging everybody. He was giving them lots of instruction. Really good. The only bit that he slightly got wrong, which is the bit where I probably had to step in, is he didn't give everybody an equal go. Because um, he kind of just forgot, you know, he like he ran out of time and like, oh, oh, such and such has another go of bowling. Oh no, what am I going to do? And I was like, don't worry, Thomas, it'll be fine. We'll have a chat afterwards. We'll get plenty of goes next week. But you know, that's just the thing where where kids are. But he was actually a really great leader, and I think the kids had a great experience because of that. So uh, don't be don't be afraid to. You've got to be careful because that's where it can go wrong. But um, I think it's they're they're more they're more capable of leadership than we probably give them credit for. So that was in the cricket. You had them. The captain was was running most of the the game. Was it? Yeah. So I'm. Um, I mean, very often as a coach in cricket, anyway, you're on the side and they're in the field, and you can't really get instructions on. But this is under 11s, right? So they're quite yeah. young. I'm umpiring, right? So I'm in the middle, right? Uh -huh. And I've got me another guy, yeah. So and, and their so their coach is the other umpire, and I'm the other umpire, and he has to decide who bowls, how many how many uh, times they bowl. Because um, it, it, it rotates, it's not like baseball where you pitch. So they who who ball, who bats at what what point, and all that sort of stuff. So he has, he decides that, and this is how cricket kind of works. The captain is responsible for who does what at what time, sets the strategy, where people stand, and where the fielders go, and all those sorts of things. It's quite an important role. Um, did a great job. He lost focus after a while, and that's where the bowlers didn't get enough goes. He let one guy bowl for too long, and so there wasn't enough time for the others one others to have a bowl. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, Stuart, it's been awesome. I really appreciate the time and talking. Um, you know, Talent Equation podcast, it's on iTunes and I'm sure every other kind of platform. Uh, where else can if people want to follow up, ask you questions? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, so the website, um, it, it st I started out as a blogger uh, and there are, you know, I, I, there's still blogs on there, but I haven't written for a while because I've been doing too much podcasting and I've been writing stuff for work. So, yeah, that's the talentsequation.co.uk. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Twitter, uh, at Stu underscore arm. Um, I've got stuff on Facebook and LinkedIn and all those sorts of places as well, uh, as you wouldn't, wouldn't imagine. But yeah, I get a lot of good emails coming through uh, regularly with people with sort of ideas and thoughts and questions. And I do have a, a kind of group that gets together, mastermind group that gets together on a monthly basis that uh, can um, we get together and solve problems together. And um, so that's uh, that's also available, um, although it's filling up very fast. So um, okay. uh, uh, if people want to get involved and they want to be part of a learning community, then by all means, come on board. Thanks. I appreciate it. No worries. That's great. All right. A big thank you to Stuart. He spent his entire lunch recording that podcast. So I'm pretty sure he was starving the rest of the day. So a big thank you to him. Uh, just a few big takeaways from part two. Number one, coaching with standards and accountability is hard. It's really hard.
but it's a place where we can experience flow as a coach. And Stuart does a great job of sharing that experience with us and how much more enjoyable that practice was. Number two, we need to work hard to empower players in the way we frame our conversations with them. And we need to help the players to set the standards and then to self-evaluate if they're meeting those standards. Once they've self-evaluated, then we help them to take steps moving forward. How, what can you do? What, what commitments can you do? What actions can you do to raise your effort, to raise your focus? Number three, and this is a great question for us that we should be asking. How much of the information in our practices is from us to them? And how much of that information is from them to us? Number four, I love this equation that Stuart gives. Talent equals ability times mindset times external factors. Ability times mindset times external factors. We create the environment that nurtures that ability and mindset. Right? Mindset is much harder to grow than ability. But I love how Stuart reminds us that he would pick mindset over ability any day of the week. And this is the problem I see in so many cultures is people are chasing ability. They think they're chasing talent, but they're really just chasing ability because they're leaving out the mindset piece. And then they're also trying to maybe do a little bit of the external factors. They're trying to build a little bit of a culture there. And we need to be all in on the external factors, the culture, the environment, creating that. And we need to be all in on picking guys with a great mindset. My fifth and final takeaway is this. Let them lead. Yes, they will struggle. Yes, they will fail. fail. But we've got to let them lead. All right, and I love Stewart's quote here. Allow people to fail without making them a failure. That comes from us, the coach. That's it for today's episode. So many great points. And it was another episode packed full of principles and ideas. So make sure you get the coaching notes at thriveonchallenge.com. Also support the podcast by sharing with other coaches you know that will find some value in it. Thanks for listening in.